Welcome to Discovering You, a podcast that explores the intricacies of personality and how it impacts the way we navigate through life. What will you discover today? Hi, listeners. Hi, Heather. Hi there. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Did you check in with your mood meter? I sure did. I have productive. Okay. Feeling like you are accomplishing your tasks and achieving your goals. Oh, that sounds good. And that's the yellow color, right? Yeah. High energy and pleasant. Yeah. I'm feeling that way all week, to be honest. Oh, that's good. Can I have some of that? Sure. Happy to share. Okay. Because... How are you feeling? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm in the opposite quadrant to you. So I'm blue. So I am low energy. (laughs) Uh, I got fatigued is the word that I got. And Heather knows, but because listeners, I've just coming out of a flu. I had tested for COVID. It's coming back negative, but I don't know. It hasn't been great. So I'm definitely feeling better, but my energy is just not quite there yet. So that's, that's why I'm getting fatigued. And if you're new and you don't know what we're talking about. It is the How We Feel app, Robin Stern, Mark Brackett. It's really, really good way to center yourself and go into your day mindfully to understand what you're feeling. And I think, Heather, oftentimes we'll talk about the words that we get and maybe something that I don't mention is strategy. So for instance, for me, like you sound good. <laughs> Although there are strategies for positive moods too, because it'll say, how are you feeling? Do you want to keep this feeling kind of thing? And it'll give yep. you strategies for me, like it'll give you a strategy. So for fatigue, so one of the things it says is like do some deep stretching or maybe like go out into nature. And and then there's like a little one or two minute video of somebody talking to you about it. It's really helpful. It doesn't just give you words if you're wondering. It it does also give you strategies. So I definitely recommend checking it out. I am excited though to chat with you about today's topic, the four tendencies. You know I have an affinity for four categories of things. But first, this month's DISC example, I would say is timely. Today is Halloween. And as well, National Candy Day is on the weekend. So it's only fitting that I give you DISC according to candy. High D, warheads. They're marketed as extreme and intense. High I is sweethearts. As the name implies, there is a sweet part. And also, there's very sweet messages of love on them, like hug me or I love you. High S is butterscotch candies. They're comforting and they're long-lasting. And high C, smarties. There's the name implication again, smart. And they're structured. It's an even ratio of candy shell and chocolate. Let's dive into today's subject, the four tendencies. As I hinted at, you'll notice a strong interconnection between these four tendencies and DISC, as they're both helpful tools for navigating workplace dynamics. As with DISC, when you can identify someone's tendency, you have a better chance of understanding the behavior you're seeing, address it accordingly, and perhaps even predict and avert problems before they happen. This content comes from Gretchen Rubin, who's an acclaimed writer and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Four Tendencies. She's also the host of the popular podcast, Happier. I've been interested in Gretchen's work for a while, so I was excited to have the opportunity to take her course recently on applying the four tendencies in the workplace. Obviously right in my wheelhouse. Okay, so what are the four tendencies and what do they mean? 
The key to understanding them is in how you would answer the following question. How do you respond to expectations? Let me expand and explain. The first tendency is called the upholder. And how they respond to expectations is they meet outer expectations as well as inner expectations. Their inner dialogue is, I do what others expect of me and what I expect of myself. The second tendency is the questioner. They resist outer expectations but meet inner expectations. They say, I do what I think is best according to my judgment. If it doesn't make sense, I won't do it. The third is the obliger. They meet outer expectations, but resist inner ones. Their outlook is, I do what I have to do. I don't want to let others down, but I may let myself down. And the fourth and final tendency is the rebel. They resist outer and inner expectations. They say, I do what I want in my own way. If you, or even me, try to make me do something, I'm less likely to do it. That's a little taste of the four tendencies. Did you find yourself gravitating towards a particular one? Listeners, if you want to learn your tendency, you can find the link to the quiz in the show notes. But to give you an idea, here are five of the questions. Number one, which statement best describes your view about your commitments to yourself? I make a commitment to myself only if I'm convinced that it really makes sense to do it. If someone else is holding me accountable for my commitments, I'll meet them. But if no one knows except me, I struggle. I bind myself as little as possible. I take my commitments to myself as seriously as my commitments to other people. So what I'm going to do, because there's a lot of these, it can be overwhelming. I think, Heather, I'm going to ask you how you answered, and I'll tell you how I answered, just because I think if we do them all and go back like we normally do, it'll, it'll get confusing. So for this question, which one did you find yourself answering? If someone else is holding me accountable for my commitments, I'll meet them. But if no one knows except me, I struggle. And for me, I chose, I take my commitments to myself as seriously as my commitments to other people for that one. We'll, we'll see how this might change a little bit as we go on. Number two, if people complain about your behavior, you'd be least surprised to hear them say. You stick to your good habits, ones that matter only to you, even when it's inconvenient for someone else. You ask too many questions. You're good at taking the time when others ask you to do something, but you're not good at taking time for yourself. You only do what you want to do when you want to do it. Which one did you pick in this question, Heather? Uh, I picked the third one. You're good at taking the time when others ask you to do something, but you're not good at taking time for yourself. I was kind of torn on this one. I was torn between that one and the first one about me sticking to my habits. But I think when I tell you my answer, my overall tendency, it'll make sense. Number three, which description suits you best? Disciplined, sometimes even when it doesn't make sense. Asks necessary questions. Puts others, clients, family, neighbors, coworkers first. Refuses to be bossed by others. I found this one a little bit more difficult because I would say disciplined if you were talking about work. And I would say puts others first when it's clients, but not necessarily mm. families or neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> I put disciplined only because that's the one that felt best. 
but I could have gone either way. And neither one of them really are like personal. It's more work, work mask. Again, we're looking at this in the workplace. So I think thinking of it that way is okay. And I mean, DISC is like that too, right? DISC is technically workplace, but some people feel like their profile is their profile through and through. And other people feel like it, maybe it's different workplace to home. All right, the next one. Commitments to others should never be broken, but commitments to myself can be broken. You would answer it either tend to disagree, neutral, or tend to agree. What'd you pick? Tend to agree. Okay. I struggled with this one, so I picked neutral. <laughs> so I'm like, well, sometimes, but so I was glad to see that neutral option. Okay, finally, number five. Sometimes I won't do something I want to do because someone wants me to do it. And so it's tend to disagree, neutral, or tend to agree. What'd you pick, Heather? Tend to disagree. Okay, I picked disagree on that one too. All right. For me, listeners, and I did do the full one, I am an upholder. That is the main one that I have. But I think I have a healthy dose of obliger based on the way I answered these questions because I'm looking at it and I can see for sure some of these are obliger. And so what about you, Heather? What was your final result? As if I need to ask. <laughs> My final result was obliger. Yeah. Even before I did this, I was <laughs> thinking that that's probably what you're going to get. But I wish you could see it. When we do discs and I run the disc reports, you know, you can look at the graphs and you can see exactly where your D is. And let's say you have a secondary factor. You can see. So sometimes people will have two factors and they're almost neck and neck. Uh, well, you know, that's your profile, Heather. Yeah. For me, I kind of wish I could see the exact breakdown of the way this works. Because again, depending on the question, I can see I'm answering obliger sometimes. For me, I'm going to guess it would be like 60-40. So 60% mm. upholder, 40% obliger. What do you think your secondary one would be, Heather? I do think my secondary is upholder. I don't have a rebel in me. I don't really have a questioner in me either, to be honest. I don't know. It's funny. There's times where I'm like, I think I ask a lot of questions, but I think it's just for learning purposes. So I could see some of that in me. Well, I can see asking questions for clarity. But I think that's probably both of our high C's coming in. And I think maybe the way we ask the questions is probably different than how the questioner is coming across. That's my that's my take on that. If I had to guess, I would say my secondary is upholder. Right. I think so, too. That's what I would guess for you. The course that I attended focused on how the four tendencies show up in the workplace. For upholders, they're self-directed. They meet deadlines without supervision. They're eager to meet expectations. They embrace routine and may struggle with diverging from it. They have trouble delegating because they feel others may not be dependable. I shouldn't laugh, but clearly <laughs> that's my problem, in case you hadn't noticed. They can seem rigid and uptight. Oh, also, hello, Victoria. <laughs> Questioners. We don't have self-awareness issues. with. We, neither of us have that. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Questioners. They put a high value on reason and efficiency. They follow an authority only if they respect that person. Because of their persistent questioning, they may be viewed as uncooperative and not a team player. They often dislike being questioned themselves, and they resist anything arbitrary. For instance, saying, oh, the report needs to be 10 pages. They'd be like, why? Obligers. They put a high value on meeting commitments to others. They require supervision, deadlines, and other forms of accountability. They may have trouble saying no or setting limits on other people's demands. And then rebels, they put a high value on freedom, choice, and self-expression. They can do anything they want to do, but will resist if someone tells them what to do. They don't respond well to supervision, advice, reminders, or directions. 
They resist routines, schedules, and repetitive tasks. Interestingly, if they have a work partner, it's usually an obliger, and I also think a marital partner, and they may behave as if ordinary rules don't apply to them. And this can actually be used as an advantage. So for instance, in sales, right? Having to take a risk, pushing beyond what maybe a normal person would feel comfortable with. So for a fun way to imagine these tendencies in the workplace, I'm going to use one of my favorite shows, Ted Lasso, to illustrate them. Hopefully most of you have watched, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a really good feel-good show. And because it does take place sort of in a workplace, it tends to be very relevant in a lot of my examples. For the upholder, it's Leslie. He's very on point and keeps track of everything. The questioner is Rebecca. While she operates in the corporate culture, she has a strong entrepreneurial spirit and she does not take things at face value. The obliger is, of course, Ted Lasso. He's always trying to figure out how he can help others be their best. And let's not forget his penchant for baking treats and gift-giving qualities. And for the rebel, which will come as no surprise, (laughs) Roy Kent. If you know, you know. I can't repeat his favorite word on air. Let's just say it starts with F. (laughs) Now that we have a sense of how these tendencies present in a work environment, what can we do to try and communicate effectively and speak their language? For the upholders who struggle to adjust to change and have difficulty delegating, the approach with them would be make sure you're clarifying expectations and the process, the reporting structure, and a deadline. Here you're taking a very systematic, ordered approach This will resonate with them. And when you frame it this way, you're speaking upholder language. For the questioners who can seem uncooperative because of their persistent questioning and resisting anything arbitrary, the way to connect with them is provide reasons for the task or timeline, give them data, let them customize their workflow. With obligers who struggle to set boundaries and take on too much because they can't say no, make sure they're not overloaded and offer outer accountability. And finally, for our rebels who don't respond well to supervision advice, reminders, and resist routines, be direct and highlight the consequences of their choices. Appeal to their identity. Let them work in their own way. Okay, I don't know about you, (laughs) but as the opposite of a rebel, I'm thinking that sounds pretty nice for them, doesn't it? Maybe this is what Gretchen refers to as obliger rebellion. You get fed up helping, accommodating, especially when others get away without doing it. I think these reactions, be it obliger or upholder rebellion, are fairly temporary, though, and will only arise if you feel that you are not being seen, respected, and validated. Are you finding that some of the descriptions and suggestions resonate, even if it's not your main tendency? Heather, you're nodding your head, yes. Yeah, I said I wasn't a rebel, but then I was like, oh, maybe it didn't come through in the questions. But when you dig into it a little bit, I'm like, Mm. I like to work my own way. There's really nobody who can make me do something differently. Interesting. Like I don't fit into a regular workplace because of some of it. Right. Well, Ruben says that while we all have one main tendency, we have a secondary one that we tilt to. And the direction of that tilt has a significant impact on the way our main tendency shows up to others. She uses the questioner as an example to illustrate it. Let's say we have two questioners, but one comes across as a little bit more of a team player, while the other one seems independent and almost defiant. If they're both questioners, why is this? A questioner whose secondary tendency is an upholder 
will lean into that. So even though they question things, they understand and respect the need for rules and will comply with them if they make sense. This has the effect of seeming more cooperative. But a questioner whose secondary tendency is a rebel will tilt in that direction if the rules or systems that they are questioning don't make sense to them. If they view them as arbitrary, they will decide that they shouldn't be bound by them. And this, of course, has the effect of the person seeming uncooperative. See how differently those two questioners can show up at work? This is very similar to DISC. Someone with a high D and a secondary factor of C seems very direct, all business, talking facts, not feelings. But a high D with a secondary factor of I is going to come across as more affable, charismatic, and incorporate some feelings into the conversation. That makes a very different impression. Some other things that the four tendencies in DISC have in common are they are represented by the same four colors, red, yellow, green, and blue. But more specifically, the tendency that is the closest match to the DISC factor shares the same color. (laughs) Okay, have I lost you? (laughs) May have lost myself a little bit there. Okay, for example, Heather, if I were to ask you which DISC factor is the most similar to the rebel tendency, what would your guess be? D. Yay! (laughs) Yes, the rebel and high dominance are matches in that they don't feel that they need to follow rules and they're comfortable with risk and out-of-the-box thinking. And they are both represented by the color red. How about the upholder? Which DIS factor most closely corresponds here? Of course, it's high compliance. Rule followers, structured, clear sense of right and wrong, and they're both blue. Next is the obliger, which partners up nicely with high steadiness. They both have a strong focus on helping others, maybe even more than themselves, and they share the color green. Another thing they have in common is that they are both the most represented in their framework. Obliger is the most common tendency to have, and steadiness is the most common disc factor to have. Can you tell I'm having a lot of fun with this? (laughs) But alas, it is not perfect. While the questioner rounds out the final color of yellow, it doesn't have much in common with high influence. Well, three out of four isn't bad. For me, my tendency profile is very on par with my disc profile. My highest disc factors are steadiness and compliance, and this equates very closely with upholder and obliger. Heather, maybe not so much for you, right? It doesn't actually hold up. Yeah. So the obliger is a high S of which I have none. (laughs) I know I said earlier that I don't have any rebel in me, but Mm. potentially I think when you dig into it that maybe I did. So And there's that might yeah. Yeah. It's not like bang on for sure, but I could see pieces of it for sure. Yeah, the secondary, because I think you think your secondary is upholder and that's your C. And then maybe if you did find those connective tissues with some of the descriptions of rebel, that would be your D. Where the disconnect for me is, I consider high S. Frank is a high S. You have a high S. It's like a considerate and compassionate and like you're helping people. But where I'm helping people, like I'll do all those things, but it's from a work standpoint. Like I would never let anyone Mm. down at work. I would, I always want the clients to have the best experience. I don't necessarily, like it's not a nurse or a teacher type of personality trait. It's so I feel like it's a disconnect there, but maybe it isn't. I don't see you that way, just (laughs) FYI. Of course, that's a whole other subject. If you enjoyed this quick snapshot of the four tendencies and want to learn more, you can go to GretchenRubin.com and check out all of her fascinating work.
Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time. This coaching, this one-on-one session explores the strengths of your working style and ensures that you're optimizing it. Gain a clear understanding of your motivators as well as your triggers. Learn techniques to connect with your opposite personality style, reducing the potential for misunderstandings and unnecessary conflict. This session includes a DISC assessment, customized reports, and takeaway resources. If you are interested in connecting with Victoria for team building, strategic onboarding, coaching, or speaking engagement, you can contact her at discoverwhatworks at gmail.com. This show is a Twisted Spur media production produced by our very own Heather McPherson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.